0: From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum. 32 million Latinos nationwide are eligible to cast ballots this year. But polls find lower levels of enthusiasm for the election and candidates than in 2016, partly because of the pandemic, but also because of lackluster efforts from both Democrats and Republicans to engage them, advocates say. With the power to be decisive in several races, we look at what's being done to mobilize Latino voters in the final weeks before November 3rd. Join us after this news. This is Forum. I'm Nina Kim. A poll last month of Latino voters found only 40% said they'd been contacted by a presidential campaign. Political parties often fail to engage Latino voters effectively, even though they have the numbers to sway crucial swing states in the presidential election, as well as tight local races. We look at efforts this year to increase turnout in the Latinx community and their political power. And joining me is Maria Teresa Kumar. She is president of Voto Latino, a civic engagement organization. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And I have to say that I'm excited with KQED because I am from Sonoma. I grew up with you all, so this is a treat.
0: Oh, that's so great. Well, we're <laughs> so glad to have you on. And, uh, you know, I know Voto Latino has just been so active in registering voters and trying to play a key role in increasing civic engagement among Latinos. And I'm wondering, you know, with the final weeks of the campaign now, where, where are you focused? What's the plan?
1: Yeah. So uh, to win, Can that? <laughs> <laughs> that's the focus. There's no plan B. So I will share with you, our goal was to register half a million voters in time for the November 3rd election. Uh, yesterday, we surpassed that goal. We have officially registered 520,000 registered voters in six battleground states, uh, Arizona, Texas Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania and Nevada. Uh, We also did some work in Georgia and North Carolina and Now what we're pivoting where we will probably end the cycle registering 600,000 again in these key states but what is also exciting is that you mentioned on at the top of the show that the majority of Latinos do not get contacted even if they're registered voters Uh, Mm -hmm. they're what we call low propensity voters and this is where the people need to change how they contact voters because sixty uh, percent of Latinos are under the age of thirty-three. Forty percent of Latinos are under the age of thirty-three that are eligible to vote that are registered, and if you only register, if you only contact the person that has a history of voting by default, you're never going to contact the majority of Latinos because we're so young uh, in one in one scenario. And in the other, for the first time, you're going to have one out of 10 voters are going to be naturalized citizens. So even under that scenario. So Voto Latino, we're pleased to announce that we are going to run a really aggressive campaign in these six states where we will be contacting, in addition to the 600,000 folks that we've registered, we're going to contact an additional 3.2 million low propensity voters in these states. Uh, We have uh, we have been fortunate enough that we have raised the funding uh, out from low, low dollar donors and individual donors to run such an aggressive campaign. Uh, But it really people really have to imagine reimagine how they cultivate Latinos moving forward, because for the very first time, we're going to be the second largest group of Americans that can cast a ballot. And half of our community is still unregistered.
0: So what have you found does work? Because I know that there have been added challenges, especially this time around, of course, with the pandemic.
1: So this is where or the way we do our work is so is counterintuitive to the norm. Uh, the norm is site based voter registration, uh, and that is talking to people, you know, at the local Walmart and that sort of stuff. From our inception, Voto Latino has uh, been a digital organization. We're digital natives, talking to roughly the 60 million people that tur- that are in the United States. Uh, our target audience are young people. Uh, We reach roughly 15 million people a month uh, during this election, and our job is to mobilize them. Uh, To give you an idea, we came into the pandemic having registered 88,000 folks, and we digitally targeted them right around the George Floyd program, uh, the sad death of George Floyd, because we knew that the protests were uh, being conducted by a lot of Latinos, too. We have a great affinity for what is happening in the African-American community, because sadly, we're not so far behind. By doing those digital conversations and digital marketing, you know I always say Voto Latino. We re- we happen to register voters, but we're really in the business of marketing democracy for good mm-hmm. and enfranchisement. Uh, by doing that. We registered over 100,000 folks in the month of June alone because we connected protests to voting. And of the people we registered, 80% of them were under 33, and 75% of them were women. And that is because we know that young Latinas, in particular, have an outsized role in their families, and they can influence not just not just you know their immediate friends, but they will also influence their families. And so our job at Volta Latino is to continue closing that voter registration gap. Um, If we had, if, you know, if you were to look at the only real ways that we can bring in more people into the electorate, it's really two pools of people. It is young voters. For the first time, we're going to have 12 million more young voters than baby boomers uh, in our nation's history. Two thirds of them who are young people of color and who a quarter of them happen to be Latino. And so when we look at that with what the opportunities are. I think that I'm tired of nail biter elections. We actually know that we have a whole constituency out there of young voters that I don't have to remind them or convince them that climate change is real. I just need to get them to register to vote Mm -hmm. so that the person can change the policies that they already deeply believe in.
0: How would you characterize the level of enthusiasm around this year's election? We've been seeing polls, you know, over several months, showing it kind of varied and that even uh, enthusiasm for the candidates was a little depressed from 2016. Do you find the enthusiasm high among young voters, and do you think it's different depending on age?
1: One, it's different depending on age. It's also def- dependent on region, uh, where, where the, the community really is. I will tell you, one of the things that we're seeing, for example, everybody talks about Florida. Florida's going to be really hard. Uh, I think because there is so many different generations and so many different constituencies among the Latino community there. Uh, but if you look at Texas and Arizona and North Carolina, Georgia, Pennsylvania, there is something different happening there. Uh, in Arizona, you have a whole population that aged in to becoming registered voters after uh, Jan Brewer and and Arpaio targeted their their loved ones, their parents and themselves, and they are fierce. They are organizing, they're mobilizing, they're running for office, and they are changing the electoral map. Texas is where I, I shared with you, I grew up in, uh, in Sonoma, and I was in college when Pete Wilson rose to power, and the best kept secret was that California stopped being a swing state because myself and millions of people like me, Convinced our families to become naturalized citizens and to register and to vote and california became a a Decidedly blue state. We are on the eve of seeing the exact same thing happen in texas in texas Texas is responsible and home to 25 percent of all eligible latino youth voters 2.5 million And under there as they were are aging into this uh, voting population they don't only have Trump that gives them incredible anxiety, but they also have uh, George Abbott who signed the most dangerous uh, voter, uh, excuse me, immigration laws on the books. It's called SB4. And SB4 allows an official in power to ask a minor if they are American citizens. Imagine having an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old and having your child being subjected to their citizenship uh it is something that is happening in Texas that is why one of the reasons that this aging in you know better or work it's interesting you know better or work uh obama lost texas by 16 points hillary lost by 9 points better work lost by uh 2 points he lost by 212,000 registered voters voto latino the cycle alone has registered over 252,000 texans and that's just one organization right Uh, So there is an incredible opportunity because people are really hungry for change and it's very personal for them.
0: Yes. I mean, do you find that anti-immigrant stances, xenophobia, the uh, effort to paint uh, or frame basically and to emphasize uh, Donald Trump and his, you know, basically essentially his bigotry, right, that that resonates with younger voters more than older voters potentially?
1: There is a level of awareness in the Latino community where they may not, among young voters specifically, where they, their parents may not be able to register and they may not be able to register to vote, right? So we have 16 million Americans that live, 16 million Americans that live in mixed status families. That young person may very well be registering and voting to save and protect their families. That's exactly what we saw in Colorado when Colorado flipped. That's what we saw in Virginia when Virginia flipped. It's a pattern that we saw in Nevada, and it's what we saw in Arizona, and quite frankly, what we're going to see in in Texas. It's what happened in California, right? So. What folks don't realize is that young Latinos and children of immigrants, we have an outsized role that we play in our families because we have been helping influence and shape and translate America for our our families long before we turn 18 years old. You know, I often share the story of, you know, I would be in the doctor's office with my grandmother at nine years old and I, having such a level of anxiety because I had to translate to her, her medical condition and making sure that she took her medicines properly. Yes. Uh, that's millions of us, right? Yeah. That's million of us. And so when we see people treating our families poorly and endangering some of our li- endangering our lives, young Latinos are primed for information so that they can safeguard their families.
0: I struck at the beginning of the conversation. You said that your goal is to win. I know that Voto Latino has been a nonpartisan organization, but I understand this year is the first time you decided to endorse a candidate. Is that right?
1: So, yeah, so we do our work and it's we have two organizations. Voto Latino Foundation is a C3 and we do all of our voter registration under that but then we also have a C4 and that's our issue advocacy. And normally the way we've done our C4 work is we've identified issues that are very pertinent to the Latino community. We were part of the fight for uh, access to healthcare. We've been part of the fight for immigration reform. We were part of the formation of the President Obama's uh, 21st century policing task force. So very much leaning into issues that the Latino community cares about. This election though, uh, in April, once we knew who the clear nominee was, we we endorsed Joe Biden. And we did it because one, I've known him for a long time through these different efforts that uh, when he was a vice president at the White House. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to know Kamala Harris since uh, since Latino started when she was a district attorney because VL really got its ground in San Francisco. Uh, We are here because of San Francisco and the Bay Area. Um, But we endorsed because it was an opportunity for us to sound an alarm. Uh, We are very well trusted in the community.
0: And you felt like this time around, an alarm was needed. Okay, got it. Yes. I'm not sure. (laughs) Maria Teresa Kumar is president of Voto Latino a civic engagement organization and she'll be with us after this break and you can join the conversation as well 866-733-6786 is the number to call at kqed forum on twitter and facebook is where you can post your questions and comments or email us at forum at kqed.org i'm Nina kim stay with us This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Latinos may have low voter, voting turnout rates, less than 50% of eligible voters turned out in 2016, but their share of the electorate is growing with the potential to hold significant sway in this year's presidential and senatorial races. But the parties have failed to engage Latino voters effectively, according to my guest, Maria Teresa Kumar, president of Voto Latino, a civic engagement organization. And also joining us now is Chuck Rocha, a Democratic strategist and author of Tio Bernie, the inside story of how Bernie Sanders brought Latinos into the political revolution. And of course, if you want to join the conversation, you could do so by emailing us at forum at kqed.org reaching us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum, or giving us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. And uh, Chuck Rocha, welcome to Forum.
2: Hey, thank you so much for having me.
0: And I did want to talk to you about, you know, there has been this this sort of line that we hear, the Democrats take Latino voters for granted. Do you think that's true? And what have they been doing wrong?
2: Uh, how long do we have? i wouldn't say that they take us for granted as much as they don't take any effort really to talk to us in the way that they should and what i'm getting at is let me make my case with some facts and not just my poignant opinion which is (laughs) as of seven twenty-three of this year that means the last day of july the top 10 super PACs in america that are helping democrats had raised 500 million dollars the top three leading super PACs on the Latino side, which I run the largest of called Nuestro PAC had raised $5 million. So that means that the establishment donor class had given $500 million to organizations that are all totally focused on turning out white persuadable voters, while at the same time, only given $5 million to Latino super PACs. Now just that alone will show you, and let me very much say that, Trying to get white people persuaded to vote for Joe Biden is a good strategy, and I have nothing against that, and that is smart to do, but you can walk and chew gum at the same time, and what it does is you leave out a whole lot of Latinos who aren't getting talked to at all. The Latino community, to Maria Teresa Kumar's point earlier, is there's all these young Latinos that are coming of age that, thank God, her organization is out there registering, but once... She registers them. If she don't personally, her and Voto Latino, go talk to them, no other candidate is going to talk to them because they're not what I say is a prime voter. We have establishment consultant class that runs all of our campaigns that only talks to a small sliver of the electorate, which is prime Latino voters, which are normally Spanish-speaking, older, uh, middle-aged Latinos who have some history. When the majority of our people are under the age of 27 and could be Uh, prime voters. I talk about this extensively in my book in the way that Bernie Sanders dominated the primary was because I was in charge of the whole campaign, not just the Latino. So I was in charge of targeting and budgets and infrastructure. So we went and talked to all the newly registered Latinos and all the infrequent Latinos. And guess what? When you go have a conversation with a Latino voter at the same scale you do a white voter, they will show up at the exact same rate and sometimes even better.
0: And one of the things that I know that you did is that you did this early, that we're seeing this big effort right now with lots of money pouring in with for ads and trying to target Latino voters in the last few months. But you were saying that that's such a common activity and really what needs to be happening is that these investments need to be happening much, much earlier.
2: Oh, my God. It's, it's, the, it's the same thing again. I don't want you to be redundant, but we've been talking to white voters now going on nine months and now all of a sudden, everybody in America has woken up to a Latino problem in Florida, and we are throwing money at Florida like it's on fire. And But it's so late, and Donald Trump has already had a chance to be out there early. And so you need to start early. You need to start as early as you start with white voters. If you will t- treat a Latino voter the same way as a, as a white voter, you will just get so much better performance and so much more turnout out of that voter. And what we're seeing all across the country right now is that People like to say, well, Joe Biden has spent twice as much as Donald Trump has on Spanish language communication, which is, in fact, very true. But what they don't say is that Joe Biden has spent all that money in the last 60 days Mm -hmm. when Joe when Donald Trump was up in June 1st, unanswered spending a million and a half. And you only get one chance to make a first impression. So this is where the strategy and the nuance of our people and our strategy comes together.
0: Again, Chuck Rocha is a Democratic strategist and author of T.O. Bernie, the inside story of how Bernie Sanders brought Latinos into the political revolution. Also, Maria Teresa Kumar is president of Voto Latino. And your listeners are with us. Let me take a call from Victoria in Santa Rosa. Hi, Victoria.
3: Hello.
0: Hi, go right ahead.
3: Yes, I was wondering how I could volunteer to get the Mexican vote out because I have a lot of family that's Trumpers and I'm feeling very anxious about the election and I want to do something.
0: Victoria, thanks. Uh, Maria Teresa Kumar. Thoughts for Victoria? Yeah. So
1: Victoria, first of all, Victoria, I went to, the, I went to Ursuline high school in Santa Rosa. So I love this question. Uh, and, I, and I hope that you're staying safe, with the fires. So the best way, the easiest way to volunteer is if you head over to votolatino.org and, uh, or if you text, Volunteer to 73179. Uh, we are going to mobilize 3.7 million low propensity voters in six battleground states. And so we need your help. And you could do it COVID safe. Uh, it's from calling people to texting from your home, and everything is pre recorded and pre scripted. So you can't, uh, it just makes it easier that way. Uh, and if you want, you could even join some of our Zoom parties where we have Spotify playlists and try to make it fun. Covid has upended the way the work gets to get done, but I also think that this is a way for the universe to tell us that we all need to focus on our democracy. And so this could actually be the silver lining in many of it. Uh, we know that the more that the more people that we contact to check, point the more people mobilize. And our biggest challenge in the Latino community is that no one talks to us. And while we have our, you know, we don't have when we are registered, we actually. We actually vote at scale. seventy nine percent of us vote. The biggest challenge in the Latino community is to close that fifteen million registration gap that that is very real. It's half of us. And so the more that we can make contact early and create, uh, have conversations through volunteerism and so on and so forth, you know we welcome it. So thank you, Victoria.
0: Yeah, Victoria, thank you so much for the question. When you are talking with voters, Maria Teresa Kumar, or when your group is, what are the issues that you find really resonate that they care about the most right now?
1: COVID has devastated, decimated the Latino community, and I can't say that enough. Uh, We are less than 20% of the population and over 35% of the people impacted and uh, close to fatalities. Uh, Sadly, there's no other group that is is, as close. Um, and. Uh, you know, you're from San Francisco. In San Francisco, 30% of Latinos are make up the San Francisco population. Yet, there was a point at the peak of it where we were 80% of people uh, admitted to the uh, San Francisco Medical uh, Medical Hospital, General Hospital. So it's it's big, and so healthcare under COVID is going to be huge. It still is. We also know that jobs in the economy, especially the displacement of Latinas uh, as essential workers and their pay wages, while they're trying to juggle home and family and children and, and schooling. And then the last one, and this is where people don't realize um, the impact that this president really has had in the Latino community in sort of our own awakening. Racial inequities that exist in Black and Latino communities is the top three. And when we focus just on Latino youth, it is tied with healthcare, And that is because under this administration, 11 million uh, undocumented individuals have been targeted and the level of anxiety around that community is huge. But keep in mind that there's 60 million of us, that the moment we walk out our house, that our neighbors and the police and immigration don't know the difference. And that has created a level of anxiety and insecurity but also a deep awareness of the racial inequities that exist in institutions and in policing. And so one of the things that we will be fighting for uh, when we have a change of administration is addressing the health, the wealth, and the racial inequities that exist uh, in this country. And I have to share with you, when we started, we started with identifying and hoping to register half a million, we will register over 600,000 and we will mobilize 3.7 million uh, Latinos because if we don't do it as a community, no one, no one will, uh, will do that. And the challenge is that the issues that are impacting the country, uh, disproportionately the African-American community and the Latino community, because we are simply so young, compared to the rest of Americans if we don't not figure out how to make sure that we have access to healthcare and that we have access to to wealth creation there is is a middle class right we're not asking for more we're asking for equity and in through that lens of equity if we do not make sure that we are leveling up uh, the repercussions for the country are going to be very real i'll just I'll leave something with you you know so the majority of the, the majority of whites are 54 years old. The majority of Latinos are um, are 19 years old. And we're just starting, we're already going to be aging into the peak economic production year, so to speak, in our 20s and 30s. But we're going to be hobbling with pre-existing conditions and jobs that were just not there even uh, even six months ago. And so we really need to make sure that we are, uh, that we're at the table helping to bring this country back together. And I know that this this time is really difficult for so many of us, but I also deeply believe that we are in a unique opportunity of our lifetime as a generation. Well, in the yes yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead sorry yes no so no in, in a generation I, what i mean by this is that at the turn of last century we could we could have very well argued that 1914 the eve of world war 1 was when our century started and everything that came with it the great depression immigration technology technological workforce changes all of it came and what we decided was that we were going to double down and nation build on our country February twenty of twenty twenty is the defining moment of the next hundred years for this country, and how we come of it, and how we can think as audaciously as we did a hundred years ago, will it help us define where we are. And we just have to make sure that we recognize that that bargain includes investing in the most diverse group of Americans we've ever seen, the most African-American, the most Latino, the most Asian, and addressing it so that we can still be that bellwether of change and audaciousness and leadership.
0: Well, here's a listener who shares your view on the importance of younger voters. This listener tweets, I think in all this polling, the demographics that are being ignored most are the Latino and Generation Z vote. Those will be the voters who ultimately decide this election. Everyone speaks in code, suburban, rural, working class, and they all mean white. Let me go to caller Irene in Sacramento. Hi, Irene.
4: Hi, how are you? Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have to say, I was born in Mexico City, and for all the years that I I lived there, I never voted for any of the presidents, and that was because we already knew how the system worked. It always, the pre, always won. I moved many years ago to the United States, and in 2007, I became a U.S. citizen, and so the first time that I voted was for President Barack Obama twice already. And um, the, the one thing that I have to say is that in my line of work, when we want people to understand something, we not only give them written instructions, but also we do role play, because that helps the person who perhaps in this case has never, has never voted to go through the steps of going into a building and this is how the booth goes and the people are before you you vote, the people are going to ask for your identification. And for me being an educated person, I was panicking when I went to vote for President Obama. I wanted to do it, I did it, but it wasn't unknown. And so mm-hmm. I think that whether it's just a, a you know, a Zoom meeting or a town meeting and have some sort of role play, I think that that Mm. would help uh, the community also. And I'm planning also to... To go and, and help uh, Teresa's organizations, both
0: vote, vote Latino. <laughs> well, I I mean, thank you for sharing that. And it actually is also reminding me. And I know Maria Teresa Kumar, you need to leave us. But just how much mail-in balloting has been a bit of a challenge? Uh, how familiar are Latino voters generally with mail-in balloting? And you know, how much of a complication has that been?
1: So this is the biggest challenge. Most Latinos uh, and immigrant communities and African-American communities, because of the challenges to the voting, uh, to access to the voting booth, they don't trust it. But we need you to vote and we need you to vote early. And absentee is the same as mail-in. And if you are in a state right now that allows you to do that, you should. Um, I love the caller's suggestion of role-playing. We know that that makes a difference. We also know that we need to make sure that we are investing in our own communities. Uh, And when people tell me that the vote doesn't matter, I remind people that for the very first time, generation X, Y, and Z, disproportionately brown people, black people, Asians, and single women, Outvoted our predecessors, and we now have the most representational government in the House of Representatives that we ever had, with Speaker Pelosi at the helm. And that means that we have a we have a Congress that more reflects our country: more women, more LGBTQ, more even more veterans, and it's a younger vote, a younger Congress that has passed 400 pieces of legislation that speak to our values, that has passed background checks, and that has passed pay equity. And the list just goes on. And our job now is going into an elect- an election where we are literally the largest pool of eligible possible voters, is to occupy that voting booth. You know, folks sometimes say, well, the system is rigged. And I go back and I say, no, the system works as it should for the people who occupy it. Our job is to occupy the heck out of it because we know that the majority of Americans share the values of a strong, healthy country for everyone. And the more that we can beat that drum and bring young people together, I mean, the tweet that said that people take Generation Z for granted, we don't. I vote Latino. They are our audience. They are the people that we're talking to every single day because we recognize their agency and the need for them to carry the water in some cases for their families who can't participate.
0: Well, Maria Teresa Kumar, really appreciate having you on today and giving us your time. I know thank this you. is a really crazy busy time. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, and if folks want to volunteers, they can volunteer using 73179. If they want to uh, pay it forward and register another voter, they can go check out VotoLatino.org and donate or make a plan to vote. So thank you so much for your time. And Chuck, it's nice to see you. (laughs) you, Chuck was Moto Latina's male guy for nine years. I like to say we had something to do with Bernie. (laughs) Nice. Well, yes, Chuck, thank you
0: for being with us. And Chuck Rocha is still with us. And now we are joined by Mike Madrid. He's co-founder of the Lincoln Project, a group of Republicans that this year is seeking to prevent the re-election of Donald Trump. He's also a political consultant and partner at Grassroots Lab. Mike Madrid, thanks so much for joining us.
5: Thank you for having me. I apologize for being late.
0: Oh, that's OK. You know, for those Latinos tempted to shun Republicans because of President Trump, what do you think the party needs to do to appeal to them again post this election?
5: That's a great question. And um, to be honest with you, I'm not entirely optimistic that the Republican Party for at least at least one generation, possibly two, will be able to recover. Having said that, what has driven and has always driven me to be involved in Republican politics is economic issues and economic challenges that face our community. And I say that because that, I believe, will ultimately be the answer to, I think, your question, whether it's within a one or a two-party system. The, the civic engagement problem that our community has, the voter participation problem that our community has, is overwhelmingly one of economic challenges. There are 70, 70 years of census data that is pointing very clearly to civic engagement as a problem of income, as a problem of poverty, as a problem of lack of economic mobility. And it doesn't matter whether you're brown and Latino, it doesn't matter whether you're black in the Deep South or if you're white in Appalachia, the problem remains the same. Each one of those voter groups has precisely the same percentage of voter turnout, civic engagement, civic participation, and participation rates in our civic life. The problem fundamentally, although we we, we tend to naturally look at this as a racial or ethnic problem, and it is for our community, but it will never be resolved. It will never be resolved until we change the economic calculus and the economic stratification, which is afflicting our people. And so the answer, I think, is not necessarily what the Republican Party can do. It's what we as a society can do to rectify that situation in order to get a more positive and healthy democracy back on its feet by getting a more positive and healthy economy back on its feet.
0: We'll have more with Mike Madrid, Republican strategist, and Chuck Rocha, Democratic strategist, on the Latino vote after the break. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Mike Madrid, a Republican strategist, co-founder of the Lincoln Project, and a political consultant and partner at Grassroots Lab. Also, Chuck Rocha is with us, Democratic strategist and author of Teo Bernie, The Inside Story of How Bernie Sanders brought Latinos into the political revolution. You, our listeners, are also with us. 866 733 6786 is the number to call. Again, 866 733 6786 You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email. Email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Latino voters may lean Democratic, but they are not a monolith, and they have the potential to deliver big for the party, willing to mobilize them and should not be taken for granted, our guests say. And Chuck Rocha, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the messaging right now that's coming out of the Democratic side and the Biden campaign. I mean, the things that they're focusing on right now is Trump's handling of the pandemic, his mistreatment of immigrants and, and refugees, and also to Mike Madrid's point that he's sort of failed businesses and failed the economy. Do you think these are these are messages that are effective with, the Latino, with Latino voters, among Latino voters?
2: They are if you go have that conversation and take them the message. If a tree falls in the woods and there ain't a bunch of people there to hear it fall, you don't know if that tree fell or not. And that's my point. You could be talking whatever message you want to be talking, but if you don't go have a conversation, Latinos aren't tuned into MSNBC every night or Fox News. Now, they are just going through their regular life. Many of them overly impacted by COVID, worrying about just lost a job that, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, my health care was tied to. And now my kids have to go to school at my house. Do we even have enough money to give them a laptop? And now me and Mike Madrid going to come rolling up in there and tell them who they should be voting for and stop what you're doing. Right. This is the point. Like it's, it's 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 having the conversation. And I know I get animated about that because a lot of these woke white consultants think that if you go into the neighborhood and say this perfect message Latinos will turn out. Well, let me tell you something as a brown man from the South, if you'll just come start a conversation and talk to me that you care about me and my community and my kids, I'll open up to hear what you have to say. What's really weird here is that you've got Mike Madrid and me here. We are both Latino, one Democrat, one Republican. We both want, and we've been saying this, I've been saying this anyway, that we both want the same thing for our community. We both want our communities to prosper. We want access. We want representation. I may have a little different idea of how to get there than Mike Madrid, but I welcome Mike Madrid into my neighborhood to have that debate. Let's spend some money. Let's talk about it. But we can't even start that debate until we get rid of Donald Trump.
0: Well, what I'm hearing, though, you say is that voting and the election is probably a lower priority, given the issues that have been uh, that have been created as a result of the pandemic in Latino communities, and that there really needs to be a conversation to be able to connect the importance of the election with the experiences that people are having if they've been disproportionately affected. Is that is that what you're saying is so important about that face to face? Yeah,
2: I am. I'm saying that it's it's hard right now that, A, we should go have a lot more money being spent on t- having a conversation to try to connect to these Latinos who are so anxious and so uptight about their everyday lives. And what we're trying to do here in the last 30 days is, is get them motivated to show up to let them know that their vote does matter. And if you just ask me, Chuck, what issues matter? I've done focus groups and polling all summer long. It's COVID, then it's healthcare, then it's jobs, then it's the economy. And it's over and over, but actually trying to motivate them in an age of where all the things that I just laid out and what Mike just said earlier about the performance. Like if you give somebody an economic solution and say, Joe Biden can help fix this by doing this. Oh my God. As a Latino, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I need to get back to work. I need to be able to feed my kids. So that's a message to Mike's point that really does move them.
0: And Luke writes, how do you let this whole segment go without asking your guests about Joe Biden's record in the Obama administration on immigration? And luckily, this whole segment has not gone. And that is definitely a question that I have is just how much of an impact that had in terms of President Obama making promises for comprehensive immigration reform, uh, saying that he would do this and not doing it and then losing that opportunity uh, when Congress was taken over. And and whether or not you know Joe Biden needs to to make amends and, and do more to help people feel like the Democrats really do care about Latinos. Is
2: that one for me or Mike? Uh, Chuck
0: Rocha, sorry. No. Uh,
2: what I would say is uh, we could have this debate about the failures of the Obama administration's immigration policy. And I welcome that debate because I think that a lot of it was a big failure luckily joe biden is running against a president that has babies in cages at our border and has separated mothers away from infant children so luckily for joe biden this debate should be pretty simple to draw a distinguishing contrast between somebody who has some humanity and some dignity and somebody who's put babies in cages to try to stop immigrants who are fleeing from persecution in central america for even coming into the country no politician is going to be perfect in my mind on immigration or get close to me, but I have a lot more opportunity to bring Joe Biden to the place where I want him than I ever will getting Donald Trump there.
0: And in terms of Donald Trump's message, Mike Madrid, I mean, he's basically focusing on Uh, The threat of communism or or socialism, painting people like AOC and Biden as or the people around Biden as extremists. He's also talked about his anti-abortion stance, those kinds of things. The other thing that I'm really struck by is he's really focused his messaging around how strong he is as a leader, that he has the strength to do it. I mean, can you talk about why the Republicans are going with this kind of messaging? I mean, is it effective?
5: Yeah, look, that's a really good question. And there's two very distinct and different subgroups that you're talking about. Um, so let me address both of those. The first, which is really having some impact, a multi generational impact with the Cuban community, at least at this point in the race, has been this attack on socialism, right? And these, the specter of, of uh, Fidel Castro, right? Fidel Castro's uh, Cuba. Um, look, we have to be mindful, though, and put it in perspective of how significant this is in terms of the votes total. 18%, 18 to 20% of Florida voters are Hispanic. A third of that are Cuban. Um, you can chop up basically first, second, third generation uh, of that to even dice it even further. So you're talking really six to 8% of the entire electorate. A one or two point move within that six to 8% is really not that consequential. Having said that, in a state like Florida, every vote matters. And it's why we are focusing and saying, what is happening here and are these messages sticking? The truth is, It is working, it is sticking a little bit, but it's not anything definitive or any mass movement towards the Republican Party. What gives me greater pause is the second part of your question. And that is what we have noticed is that U.S. born men, Latino men under 40. Again, U.S. born Latino men under 40 are a little bit more Trumpy, as we should say, than any other demographic that we can identify. They are somehow uh, responding to this Trump message, not in huge numbers, but in measurable, noticeable numbers. And that's a demographic that we've taken a long, hard look at and trying to understand why it is that they are frankly behaving very similarly to their non-college educated white counterparts. It could be a story of assimilation, could be a story of economic anxiety, but what we do know is this, once we start to communicate, as Chuck was saying, to these voters, about the issues that um, affect their culture, their family, Uh, they move back. They're they're less sticky, we say. They may be kind of leaning Trump, interested in what Trump has to say. There might be some resonant messages. But once we communicate the totality of what is happening with this administration, they do move back. One final thought here. Under 40 voters, Latino voters, there is a very noticeable gender gap. Women, Latinas, overwhelmingly are anti-Trump overwhelmingly, much more than their white counterparts. And that seems to be a guidance, a guiding measure to bring men, Latino men back to the fold, especially in this Trump era where there does seem to be some sort of stickiness or enticement. So two distinct areas. One is much more uh, national. It's, it's Cuban, Cuban descent because of the history of the Castro regime that is working, not to, to sizable numbers that should affect the voter model. The other I think is portends a much more troubling future where men without college degrees, U.S. born, largely monolingual English, if not bilingual, are beginning to take on the assimilative tendencies of non-college educated white men, which would tell us there's either a gender issue there to your, to your strong man argument or if economic anxiety or some combination of the two.
0: Well, Michael tweets, Latinos are hardworking, family-oriented people of faith. They're natural Republicans, except for their concern for the less fortunate. George W. Bush, the compassionate conservative who spoke Spanish, was well-suited to get Hispanic votes. I want to bring Jenny Carrion into the conversation, Carrion. She's an assistant vice president for civic engagement at AltaMed, a network of community clinics in Southern California. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey. And I wanted to ask you, who specifically are you trying to target? Is AltaMed trying to target?
6: Well, um, like Chuck and Mike mentioned, we are targeting low propensity voters. We're targeting community members that no other campaign is talking to. Um, and we're touching them five times. We're going to their homes. We are um, calling them. We are visiting them in our PPE gear. Um, and because we are a healthcare organization that's been here for over 50 years, They're opening their doors and they're very excited to talk to us. And guess what? Nobody else is going to their doors. And they're like, you're coming from my doctor's office? And we're like, yes, your doctor says hello, but your doctor also wants you to protect your healthcare and we need you to vote. And we go through the mechanics of voting by mail because it's not just about registering voters. That's step number one. We got to teach our folks how to vote, how to vote down the ballot. Voting for president is extremely important but voting for a supervisor is gonna impact so many issues. Voting for a proposition is going to impact so many policies that are gonna affect you and your families for the next 40, 40 years. Um, so we've hired 80 um, promotoras that are walking every day um, throughout the state of California, targeting low propensity communities that no other campaign is targeting. And these are systematic changes that have not um, occurred and that nobody is talking to at the time
0: hmm. well i think jenny carayon that you are answering my next question which is really about why a community clinic right is so well equipped to be able to have these conversations and it sounds like you're saying the trust factor already exists and also the fact that you overlap with an issue that voters care about which is healthcare.
6: right doctors are the number one trusted messengers in our community so when we are going um, and knocking on people's doors they feel safe talking to us Also, we're not coming from the red party, the blue party, the green party. We're coming as healthcare organizers. We're coming as promotoras. We're from the community. So they're more likely to speak to us. And 96% of the 54,000 Latinos that we have spoken to as of last night are committed to voting on November 3rd and are committed to bringing another person from their family to vote. Um, This investment Altamed um, had to make a couple of years ago. Because we saw a huge disinvestment in with every campaign and nobody was talking to us. So these communities happen to also be the communities that suffer for the most from the highest amount of health disparities. And in order to change the power dynamics in our communities, we felt we had to take it into our own hands and step in and fill a gap that is is still missing throughout the country with Mm. most.
0: Well, let me go to caller Albert in Rio Vista. Hi, Albert.
3: Hi, how are you? Really interesting discussion. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I run, or we founded back in 2018, the last moving cycle, uh, a small political action committee to work in the Central Valley, particularly in Devin Nunes district, uh, supporting T.J. Cox, etc. cetera. And uh, it's very small. But when we went down, what we found out with great surprise was that there were no Spanish language uh, signs, uh, lawn signs, for example. And when we talked to folks, uh, they said, oh, Latinos don't put out lawn signs. Well, we printed up a bunch in Spanish and they disappeared. They all went out. People were anxious to use them. Uh, We also put up some uh, Spanish language billboards along Highway 99 and elsewhere. And I, the, the idea of communication when you're dealing with uh, an ethnic group that has a distinct language, uh, and the language is, is really important, as well as understanding issues like the nature of uh, Latino humor and the political culture that people are bringing with them. And I wonder if your people can comment on the complexity of the communication issue.
0: Uh, Albert, thanks. Chuck Rocha, do you want to try that?
2: Yeah, I'll jump in and thank you for your question. I think that I'm not going to talk about yard signs because that'll make my eyes twitch. Uh, (laughs) Luckily, those things don't vote, so I wouldn't get too wrapped up on yard signs. But what I will think about is bilingual and Spanish language literature that could be handed out at the market, at somebody's home, in any place like my sister Jenny was talking about, where Latinos can gather and you can have a conversation about the upcoming election. It could explain to them how to vote, when to send in your ballot. Uh, when early vote begins, what are the hours of operations for us Latinos who work multiple jobs? Having bilingual communication give people in language is critical if you want to come into our community and have these conversations. And any campaigns that I've run, and I'll talk about Bernie since I was the chief strategist there, is that we started giving out bilingual communications via hand-to-hand seven and a half months before any of the caucuses in the first four states. Maybe there's a reason why we won 70% of the Latino vote, is we showed up, we showed up on time, and we showed up with culturally competent materials that were in both languages that had pictures from the community delivered by people from the community.
0: Well, I want to get your reaction to this tweet, Mike Madrid. Winter tweets, voting as an individual, not a Latina. Mike Madrid? Uh, While we try to reestablish that connection to Mike Madrid. Yeah, my apologies. Yeah, no, go right ahead. uh, Your reaction, yeah, to this tweet.
5: Yeah, fundamentally what the statement is about is whether it's a statement on americanness frankly an american identity is what does that mean is can i be latino latina or am i an american american first can i be a hyphenated american i think look i think we are past that point in this moment in american history where we have to recognize that we are already a pluralistic society and that there can be and should be an honor and pride in your culture and racial heritage and your background And that adds to that mix. And if that's a catalyst for greater civic engagement into the overall society, we need to lean into that. We need to embrace that. Um, And again, the the history of this country is really as much a pluralistic society as it is forcing this kind of melting pot narrative that really began in the 1920s and 1930s. Um, So uh, I I do pay close attention to to kind of not only what, what is being said in that regard, but really most importantly, who is saying it. Um, I believe that we're we are entering a period where our cultural identities and Chuck said something very interesting uh, to the previous call that's that's tied into this. It's not being bilingual is extremely important, but being bicultural is even more important, and having that that combination of the two is an extremely powerful tool to engage people, make them feel a part of this society. To me, when we deny that part of ourselves we limit that cultural uh, engine that can kind of force and engage more civic uh, engagement as a, as a community. So.
0: Well, let me see, Nancy and Berkeley, do you have a really quick question?
4: Um, <clears throat> yes. I am very upset about the democratic campaign, not getting to the Latino community. Cause my feeling is, is that um, they'll never win. We'll never win without the, Latino community. And I wanted to know why the campaign is not using Julian Castro, who was a candidate.
0: Yes, let me get Chuck Rocha on that really fast. Chuck Rocha?
2: Uh, so look, I think I would take everybody back. The truth of the matter is, is that there was a pretty salty exchange between the vice president and brother Castro during a, and I think that they're probably still a little bit of hard feelings there. What uh, Julian Castro did for our community running as president is he put himself out there and exposed himself really big. And I lift him up for that. He never really caught fire cause he never really had any money. If he'd have had more money, he'd have done wonderful things. He's a great friend of mine. I think he'll make a great contributions to lots of things. And I give him full credit for calling out this immigration stuff on the stage in front of everybody.
0: Chuck Rocha, Democratic strategist, thanks so much for talking with us. Thanks, everybody. Mike Madrid, a Republican strategist and co-founder of the Lincoln Project, appreciate having you on as well. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to Blanca Torres, our producer who produced today's segment, and to our listeners for their questions and comments. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. Thanks for listening.